Welcome back to Bottomless Coffee Podcast. I'm Jerome Evans at Jerome T. Evans on social media, and I'm your host of this podcast and of our TV show, Bottomless Coffee with Jerome. Now, if possible, you'll want to be in a calm, relaxed state of mind for this episode. Today, we're diving into chapter one of What Happened to You? Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry. Chapter one is called Making Sense of Our World, and we're starting from the beginning of our individual human development. The chapter is about 20 pages long and begins with Oprah's blue text. Oprah anchors the 20-ish page chapter by beginning with a recap of some of the worst events in her life. She grew up feeling like a burden, and over the course of her professional career, she's spoken with many, many, many other people who grew up under similar circumstances and whose evidence of trauma presents as, quote, self-sabotage, violence, promiscuity, or addiction. And so, listen, at this point, we're on the second page of chapter one, and I'm already spotting what seems to be a red flag. Promiscuity on its own as evidence of trauma? I'm not really buying that. People should be free to enter into intimate relationships with as many people as they please, uh, so long as it's done in a safe and healthy way. But we've all experienced the frustration of dealing with someone who seems to have adopted self-sabotage as an intentional practice. We know that violence and addiction are a scourge, so... Self-sabotage, violence, and addiction, sure. Promiscuity, so still, there is truth in Oprah's words. Our experiences as children do inform our behavior as adults. And from our beginning, as our brains are developing over those first few moments and days and weeks, as we're first beginning to make sense of the world around us, I can definitely see how a profoundly negative experience during our development could lead to problems down the road. And now that Oprah has set the stage through her storytelling, Dr. Perry steps in to credential himself as being trained as a neuroscientist and as a practicing psychiatrist. So where Oprah had conversations with people who experienced things like, again, self-sabotage, violence, addiction. Dr. Perry engaged people with these same issues as clients. In What Happened to You, Chapter 1, he recalls his first experience explaining the neuroscience behind the PTSD that a client was experiencing. When we're talking about really acute symptoms like episodic flashbacks to being in a war, as well as anxiety, trouble sleeping, and depression. And after a particularly bad experience where the client had a flashback in front of his girlfriend, the client actually brought the girlfriend into a session with Dr. Perry to explain, quote, what's wrong with me? And okay, here is where things get pretty fascinating for me. Picture it. It's 1985 in this psychiatrist's office. He's 29 younger than me right now. Nobody really understands PTSD at this time, but he's got to explain this man's brain reaction to the man's girlfriend who is like, what is happening? So 
He drew a diagram of the way the brain works that is still used to this day. And because this is a podcast, I will now have to try and explain this model to you. You can also check the description of this episode for a link to a similar image or model. Dr. Perry has been using this model for 35 years, so I'm pretty sure that it's available online. Okay, so picture a triangle. To keep things easy, let's make it equilateral so all three sides are the same length. Now adjust your mental triangle so that the point is facing the bottom and the base is at the top. This upside down triangle represents four parts of your brain. The bottom fourth is the brainstem. The next highest fourth is the diencephalon. The next highest is the limbic. And the very top is the cortex. So stick with me. That's brainstem, diencephalon, limbic, and cortex. The brainstem, the bottom of the triangle, controls things like temperature, respiration, and your cardiac system. The diencephalon controls arousal, sleep, appetite, and movement. The limbic system controls reward, memory, bonding, and emotions. And the cortex controls creativity, thinking, language, time, and hope. So the exercise of creating that mental model of the brain is a cortex exercise because it involves thinking. But here's the thing. The cortex is the last part of your brain to get information. So when I asked you to imagine a triangle, that request came through the brainstem first, the part of your brain that controls temperature, respiration, and your heart. So if you are experiencing, I don't know, hypothermia, can't breathe, or are having a panic attack, you probably were not able to imagine that triangle. But let's continue moving up. Assuming that you're not, you know, in some kind of distress, the request made it up through the brainstem and then to the diencephalon. And here the request had to pass the arousal, sleep, appetite, and movement test. So if you were scrolling through thirst traps on Instagram, working on two hours of sleep, if you're hungry or if you're engaged in complicated movements like, I don't know, learning a TikTok dance, then you probably had trouble with the triangle. Then, thirdly, the request had to make one more stop at the limbic system, the area responsible for reward, memory, bonding, and emotion. So if you didn't think that there would be any payoff for your efforts, couldn't remember what a triangle looked like, or just hate the sound of my voice, then you had trouble with the triangle. And then finally, only after passing through the brainstem, the diencephalon, and the limbic system, could you create the triangle, manipulate it in your mind, assign meaning to portions of this imaginary triangle, and then associate that meaning with my explanation. 
If you were able to do it, then my request made it to your cortex, the most complicated part of your brain and the one that's responsible for creativity, thinking, language, values, time, and hope. And note that I said at every step that you would have trouble if something was going on. It's not impossible to be under a great deal of stress and to perform these types of mental acrobatics. And we know this from old movies where, you know, the hero has to recall their training from 10 years ago on no sleep after being shot in the shoulder while disarming a bomb or whatever. It can be done, but we all appreciate that the effort it takes is literally heroic. Okay, so back to Dr. Perry, his client, and his client's girlfriend. Dr. Perry drew them the model, explained the different systems of the brain, and related it to the client's PTSD. Essentially, when the client went to war, his brain was in survival mode 24-7. That's brainstem territory. So when he received a sufficient trigger, the brainstem told him to take actions appropriate to his time at war. Probably getting low to the ground, head down, all that stuff. But the key here, and the relation to the model of the brain and this experience to childhood trauma, is time. The cortex of your brain is the part that understands time. So when the stress response is activated at the brainstem, you can't get into the cortex without that heroic effort that we talked about earlier. So when you're a child in an abusive home or in a neglectful circumstance, that trains your brainstem to behave in a certain way. And when you receive a sufficient enough trigger, your cortex shuts down and then you behave in a way that doesn't necessarily make sense for your current circumstances, but that helped you to survive when you were experiencing abuse or neglect. See? Fascinating stuff. And that really underlines the shift in thinking that Oprah and Dr. Perry are going for. They want us to shift from asking, what's wrong with that guy, to what happened to that guy? Because in order to help them or ourselves heal, it is helpful to understand what happened. And this is also a good time to point out that yes, this book is about trauma, but this information is relevant to just about every aspect of our lives. And I suppose it's also a good time to introduce the terms regulated and dysregulated. So let's go back to the brainstem. When everything is working as expected, your body is in a regulated state. Your brain, your body, and your circumstances are in alignment. If you're hungry, then you might get a little rumbly in your tumbly. If you're scared, then you'll get a spike of adrenaline and other hormones. That is all perfectly expected behavior. 
But let's say that you're a child and your mom's boyfriend frequently yells at you or maybe even hits you. That will create a traumatic memory where whenever that boyfriend yells, your body will release hormones and otherwise prepare to protect itself. In that circumstance, that would still be considered regulated behavior. But let's say that you're now 20 years old and your brand new boyfriend yells at you to get out of the way of a moving car. Your body may prepare to protect itself in the same way that it did when you were a child. You might make yourself really small or cry or try to run away. That would be signs of dysregulation because your body is taking the external stimuli and misinterpreting it because, as you'll remember from a few minutes ago, those lower parts of the triangle, our brains, aren't associated with time. And what happened to you? Dr. Perry will describe the symptoms of trauma as signs of dysregulation. So you're gonna hear that term come up a lot. But for now, I think maybe we should take a few minutes to process the information uh, that we've just received over coffee. So let's take a really quick coffee break and we'll be back to reflect a little bit more on chapter one of what happened to you. Hey everybody, bivalent boosters are now available. You can schedule your appointment through your primary care physician, or if you're in Minnesota, you can go to the state-run vaccination sites at the Mall of America in Duluth, St. Paul, Rochester, and Moorhead. Disability accommodations are available upon request at those state-run sites. Right now, most people are not up to date on their boosters and we need to turn that around as we go into the cold season. Please get boosted. You do not want COVID-19. It's just not worth the risk. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. You are back with Bottomless Coffee Podcast. Now, I know there was a lot to take in that last segment, so if you're ever feeling lost, don't forget that you can go to bottomlesscoffeeshow.com to re-listen to episodes or to find ways to contact me with your questions. I may not have all the answers, but at least we'll be able to share the questions together. As I mentioned in a previous episode, I've got a good routine going with this book, What Happened to You? I tend to wake up and read a chapter with my coffee first thing in the morning. That gives me plenty of time during the day to reflect back on what I've read and how there may be intersections with the topics and my life experience or with previous show or podcast episodes. Now, as you might imagine, there are nothing but intersections in a chapter that's literally about brain development. You know, I have a brain, My family, they all have brains, and even some of my friends have brains. Uh, Thank you. I will give you all a moment to finish laughing at that joke. And since we are talking about jokes, let's circle back to something that came up in conversation a few episodes ago. 
Remember Jonathan Thomas and his joke on ketamine? Well, if not, then here's a spoiler. The punchline of the joke is that generations of gay men have been using drugs and alcohol as a way to cope with trauma associated with being gay for decades. And I want to unpack that a bit more since I know that it will resonate with a lot of people who listen to this podcast. So hear me out. If you are listening to this and you have ever had to hide aspects of yourself from people that you depended on, then you were adapting so that you could navigate the world around you without being yelled at or made fun of or, you know, abandoned by your family or community or congregation to fend for yourself. But if you've held on to some of the behavior that got you through the rough times, then you may need to consider why that is to think through the adaptive behaviors that you adopted to survive and to make sure that they aren't causing you to behave in ways that aren't productive in certain circumstances. You know, when I ran for office in Minnesota, one of my intentions that I didn't make it into a campaign speech or a website was to remove the trauma that gay kids experience on a routine basis and I know there's only so much that a legislator can do, but you'd be surprised by what people are allowed to do to their children that's legal, but traumatic. Conversion therapy or conversion abuse is real and legal and traumatizing. And so is locking a child in their room so that they can't engage in behavior that a parent doesn't agree with. And You know, when is the last time that you heard of parents being charged with child neglect for kicking their child out of their home for being gay? That still gets me a little riled up, which is a sign that we should leave it there for now. As we'll learn later on in the book, dwelling on trauma for extended periods of time might actually be bad for people. So we'll... uh, move from this salient example to another. Here is one that might be more applicable to Americans as a whole. How many of you are wary of talking about politics because you're concerned about how another person might respond? Do you gird yourselves for family dinners over the holidays because you know that someone's going to say something that will set you off and that you'll ruin the holiday by expressing your opinion. Can you think back to when that started? What taught you to silence yourself? And here's the rub, is always keeping your political opinion to yourself always healthy? Like I said, there were a lot of intersections for me in this chapter, and there have been plenty of intersections with our Bottomless Coffee podcast conversations. Even as early as episode one, we were having this conversation with uh, Alex Palacios. They talked about how their activism intersected with their identity as an immigrant. In episode two, we talked with Rachel Austin about caregiving and the emotional strain of caring for someone who was actively fighting for years to live a healthy life. 
We talked about dissociation from the trauma of climate change as a bad strategy for our future in the Climate Hope and Change episode with Spencer Scott. And as we close out this episode, I do want us to think about what Spencer said in that episode. Dissociation from climate change will not save us from climate change. Or put another way, our coping mechanisms do not address the root causes of our traumas. Dr. Perry's client with PTSD adopted certain behaviors to save himself during a time of war. But those behaviors didn't stop war. Hiding aspects of yourself from friends and family to survive will not cause your friends, family, or society to become less phobic. Not talking about politics will not change anyone's heart or their mind. But talking about how war causes PTSD can help stop war. Living your authentic truth when it's safe for you to do so can make things safer for those people, those children who will come after you. And being able to shut down abusive or bullying behavior can help stop abusive or bullying behavior. We will continue to explore trauma and the book, What Happened to You? by Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Bruce Perry in upcoming episodes of Bottomless Coffee Podcast. Until then, I have been your host, Jerome Evans, at Jerome T. Evans on social media, and you can find more episodes of Bottomless Coffee Podcast and stream our TV show, Bottomless Coffee with Jerome, at bottomlesscoffeeshow.com. Thanks, everybody, and I'll see you next time.